0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Mudeo Mecha. Uh, That guy who was up here happens to be the Mecha uh, Simba. Um, My husband of almost 13 years now. Um, I know, hard to believe, right? Even I still don't believe I've been married that long. Um, But uh, we. Uh, serve here as part of the eldership team. Um, Simba is one of the elders, but I'm also one of the deacons that serves in the social justice team, Haki, um, and I have the great pleasure of bringing God's word to us today. Um, My work actually will be very easy because between the band, Kelvin and Kogi, the sermon is already preached. So I don't have much else to add. I'll just be emphasizing on uh, just some of the things that they've shared um, as I take us through the second part of our how in, in terms of our, our vision for this year and next year. Um And today I'll be talking about uh, Invite. Last Sunday, Sifas took us through INVEST. Um, and so today I'm doing the second installment on Invite. Uh, but just to take a few steps back for the sake of those who are either visiting us for the first time or haven't been here the last few weeks, uh, we are in the process of unpacking our vision, uh, the reason why we exist, all the things that we are gonna be doing in the next two years as a body, as one tribe. And um, as Kogi reminded us, we exist as one tribe to multiply gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional churches in Nairobi and the nations. And I know like... CFAS alluded to this last Sunday, when you, when you have this, you know, vision phrases or mission statements, sometimes they can be very out there and they just don't, you know, make sense on a personal level or as a member seated in service today, you could be asking what on earth does that mean for me? What am I supposed to do with, you know, that big vision? And so to break it down for us, then we, we have broken it down simply as this, that in 2022, 2023, in order to accomplish that vision as one tribe, we are going to be investing and inviting in our neighborhoods and in the nations. And that is something that each and every one of us can absolutely do regardless of our age, our gender, our level of education, our social economic status, there is nobody that is left out when it comes to investing and inviting in our neighbourhoods. And so, as I said, last Sunday, Cephas took us through um, what it means to invest um, in our neighborhoods and in our relationships. And he reminded us that it starts with the one. I know when we hear of evangelism, there's the pressure to, you know, I get sweaty palms when I think about going to some public space to talk to random strangers and tell them, you know, the spiritual laws or whatever other evangelism tool um, that you, you've had in the past. But Sifas reminded us that actually it starts with the one, the one that is in front of you. That brother, that sister, that other family member, that colleague in the office, that neighbor, uh, that person at your regular supermarket, at your salon, that one person. And he took us through the story of Zacchaeus and just aptly pointed out how Jesus zoned in on this one person who was sort of an outcast in his community, but Jesus was able to give him his full attention which ended up in the salvation of him and his family and many others. He also reminded us that in order for us to invest, we are going to have to remember some two T's. And the first T was that we must trust. And first is that we must trust that God is able and is willing to save anybody. That we shouldn't write anyone off because God is at work in people's lives, even when we can't see what God is doing. Now, I have to admit and confess that at that point, I had to repent Because there there are people in, in my life, in my family, there's that uncle. You know that uncle who's been the drunkard for all my life and he's been preached to. He knows scripture, he knows the Bible more than even I do because, you know, he reads it to be able to tell us why he can't be a Christian. You know that guy and we look at him and we say, you know, it would be nice if he could get saved. But honestly, guys. I don't think there's hope for this guy because we've tried for, you know, the last X number of years. And as Cephas was, you know, telling us about trusting that God can save anybody, I think that picture of just that uncle of mine came to mind and, you know, it was just a fresh reminder that, wow, if God can save anybody, then I have hope and I have faith that God can save even that guy who in my eyes looks like, you know, is beyond repair and there's no hope for him. And the other thing that Sifas reminded us about last week was that uh, investing in these relationships requires an investment of our time. This vision requires us to develop and build relationships with the people around us. And that is not going to happen if we are not investing time to actually be in the lives of the people that God has put around us. I know we live in a day where time, time is money, right? Time is precious. We barely ever have time for anything. We are constantly having to check. And if check my calendar, when can we do coffee? I'm not sure. You know, I'm busy. Things are happening all around us and we are busy doing important things. But if we are going to be a church that is multiplying gospel centered, spirit empowered, missional churches in Nairobi, we are not going to do that without the investment of our time. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost for some of us uh, taking time off important work business um, and other things that we could be doing but we are not going to make investments for the kingdom of god without uh, sacrificing of our time and putting in the effort to go and be where the people that god is calling us to are and so this brings us to the second part of okay we've invested in relationships i have met sister X, brother X, somewhere, and I have invested, I've made time to talk to this person, get to know them, I know their story. Um, And the question is then, what next, right? So I'm I'm not not as eloquent as uh, Pastor So-and-So, as Sean, as Cephas, as whoever. I never preached a someone in my life, what on earth am I supposed to do with this person that I have invested um, in building a relationship with? And so today we are going to talk about invites. We are building these relationships, investing in these relationships with the goal uh, of inviting these people so that they can come and experience Jesus just like we have. And so that's what we are going to be talking about today. But as I was thinking about this word, invite invitations, um, I couldn't help but remember my days growing up as an African child and a pastor's child for that matter growing up in Nairobi and in Machakos, the word invitation meant absolutely nothing to the Africans, the Kenyans around us. And if you, if you are a Kenyan and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you know that we, we didn't do invitations, we show up. That's what Africans do, right? There's a wedding, there's a funeral, there's a party, We we just show up, like we don't wait for invitations. We don't need invitations, we just show up. And so I remember this one time we were living um, in Nairobi and a bus, I'm serious, a bus showed up in the compound. We lived in a a church compound somewhere in Nairobi. And out of this bus, the bus was packed. And an entire family from somewhere in my mom's village, um, not really like a, a close relative, it's just one of those families that you know from around, had shown up in Nairobi because their father had been sick and in hospital in Nairobi and the family had decided they needed to do like a, a prayer meeting and come and pray for their father and see him. And without calling or informing my parents, they had decided that they were going to be camping at our house. For the three, four days that they were going to be in Nairobi, and you guessed it right, we, they did not come with a ketara and tents and any such thing. They just simply did what? They just rocked up. And for the next three days, we waited on an entire village, literally, as you know, they did their business of going to see their father and all of that. But the amazing thing that I remember from that is that my father being a pastor, my mother having been a pastor's wife for many years, that was actually a gospel opportunity. And my father took that opportunity and ministered to this family. He, he preached to them, he spoke to them and actually put together like just a time of prayer for their sick father. And I watched as my mother, without complaining, uh, without even asking did you guys bring any food? Just made sure that these people were fed for the entire time that they were there. And Looking at that picture uh, just had me wondering, invite, um, what does that look like? In that story, I see there's investment even when there was no preparation, right? Uh, there was someone, a family, my parents. I, I wasn't very amused by the way because I had to sleep. We had to like sleep in very tight spaces and give up our bedrooms for this bunch of strangers that had come. And so I know for us as Africans, sometimes this inviting story can just be rather weird. And I know from our Western friends, you guys understand invitations. In fact, I think it's one of those things here at One Tribe where the Kenyans are always like, but why do you need an invitation to come to my house? Just rock up and have a cup of tea. And Sean on the other side is like, no, don't rock up at my house without an invitation. You know, this clash of cultures. And so I just need us to um forget for a minute where we are coming from because... The, the thing that is at hand, the thing that is at stake is actually the hearts, the souls of people that Jesus died for so that they can have eternal life. And so regardless of where you're coming from with this invitation story, um, I want you to for a moment just hear what it is that God is calling us to and the power that there is in this um, aspect of inviting those that are outside the family of God, so that they can come and encounter what it is that God has for us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and thank you that um, you have invited us into your family. Thank you that we don't come because of anything good we have done. We don't come because we are the brilliant ones, the bright ones. We come because you, our God, our Father, has extended the greatest invitation of all time And by giving your son to die on the cross for us, we can come and receive and partake of everything that you have offered to us as your children. And so I pray this morning, as we look at these aspects of invite, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, where our cultures and our backgrounds, Lord, have hardened us towards welcoming in those, uh, those who are outside. I pray that you would open our eyes to see this in fresh light, Lord, so that we can go and do the business that you have called us to. So would you open our hearts, would you open our ears, would you open our minds, Lord, to perceive and receive everything that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. And we are going to see the story of an invitation, one invitation that was made to one man that completely changed his life and even the life of us as a church as we sit here this morning. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples, two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, if you, if you know anything about the Bible story, you know that John the Baptist was this, you know, crazy, skin wearing, locust eating character preaching out in the desert, uh, preparing the way for Jesus. And he kept saying, there's one who is coming that is greater than I. And so in this scene, we see a situation where Jesus is passing by and John is on the other side with his disciples. And he says to his disciples, look, that's the guy I've been telling you about. That's the Messiah I've been telling you about. The Lamb of God. And two of the disciples that were with John in that moment, hearing the words of John confirming that that's who I've been telling you about, immediately leave John and actually start following Jesus. And so when Jesus saw them following him, he asked them, What do you want? And in, I think these two disciples had some like African blood in them because listen to the answer they gave. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher where are you staying? I'm like, he asked where, what do you want? And their answer is, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And even in that sentence, you see Jesus making an invitation to them to come, come follow me, come see where it is I'm staying and you will see for yourselves. And so they went and so where Jesus was staying and spent the day with him, it was about four in the afternoon. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon Peter and told him this. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. So Jesus looked at him and said, this is true, Simon Peter. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas or Peter, uh, which when translated is the rock. And so in this story, we see two elements of invitation happening. The first is the invitation that Jesus gives to these two two, um, gentlemen who had been disciples of John. And he says, come, come with me and you will see where it is that I'm staying. And that invitation ended up uh, with them spending the rest of that day together. And the impact of that time that they had together must have been so great that Andrew could not just help it. He couldn't keep this information to just himself. He couldn't just sit there and say, oh my God, service was awesome today. Me and Jesus had an amazing time. I'm sure he's the Messiah. I'm just gonna go home and chill and then hopefully get to hang out with him again tomorrow. No, Andrew quickly realized that this Precious thing that I have discovered, the, the Messiah that I have discovered, I must run home and call my brother Peter to come and see and witness for himself. And so in comes Peter into this story. And we see that when he is brought to Jesus, Uh, When you look at the story of the disciples of Jesus, you know that Peter then becomes one of the key disciples of Jesus who actually walked with Jesus. He was amongst the inner circle um, of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that invitation that first Jesus gave to these two two men to say, come and see for yourself, which then translated into the invitation uh, that Andrew gave to his brother to come and see the Messiah for himself, ends up being the thing that unlocks a lifetime of an adventure for this man who we later know as the apostle, uh, as the apostle Peter, one of the apostles. And so he not only becomes one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, but we'll shortly see some of the great things that this man was able to do because of the impact that Jesus had on, on his life as he walked with him. But it's also not lost to me that Peter was not necessarily like the most impressive character, right? There are just certain things about his story that cause you to wonder. Okay, surely Andrew, there are much there are people who would have been a much a much better invite to bring to Jesus because they are more impressive, they are better spoken, they are more solid in terms of their character, right? You would have thought that those are the guys that Andrew would have run to invite and say, "Hey, I know just the guy." because you fit that profile. But when we see the story of Peter unfolding in scripture, we see that this guy was, he he often spoke without really thinking much about the things that he was saying, right? He'd say some really crazy things. Remember the one time in Matthew 16, 23, where he actually tried to rebuke Jesus when Jesus was predicting his own death and saying, I'm going to die on the cross. And Jesus was going to die so that you and I today can be seated here enjoying the fullness of life that he's given us. But Peter, X thousand years ago, was busy telling Jesus, no way, it's not going to happen, not on my watch. I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to you. N- not exactly the stuff of, you know, the if you are choosing like an eldership team, I'm not sure that's the guy that you would be running to as a first one, right? But Peter is also the guy who... Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, me, never. I got you. I'm with you to the very end. And what happens? Peter actually does what? He denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Peter is also the guy who just before that, what did he do? Cut off the servant's ear. Trying again to defend Jesus and stop him from going to the death that was uh, appointed to him on that cross. And so when you look at the profile of Peter, if you're like me, you're wondering, uh, are those the kind of guys that we are supposed to be going out and inviting? Because I'm not sure they have much to add to the kingdom and to the work of God. But it's very easy to look at this. Peter's low moments of life and wonder, as I've said, about is that invitation even worth it? What value will it add? But fast forward, to the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches this amazing sermon in Acts 2 14 to 42 that is revolutionary and absolutely just changes the course of what the church as we know it today looks like, right? And this sermon was so powerful from a guy that had denied Jesus three times that day he preached, and there were 3,000 who believed and were baptized because of the sermon that Peter preached. The shaky guy who just said the wrong things at the wrong time and just did things that were just like, dude, get your act together. This guy on the day of Pentecost, so full of the Holy Spirit, preached a powerful sermon that resulted in 3,000 being uh, believers and being baptized that day. But we also see Peter powerfully preaching in the temple, speaking before the council and presenting the gospel and defending the gospel with such power as though he's a completely new man than the one we've seen as he walked with Jesus. We also see Peter performing miracles, right? Acts 3, 1 to 9, you can look at that at your own time. But Peter, the shaky guy, actually ends up having two books written in the Bible, the book of First and Second Peter. And so as, as Cephas reminded us last time, we cannot, we cannot there give up On the one that God has appointed for us to make, to invest in and invite because they may, they may not look, you know, like the perfect person. They may not quite fit the profile, but God is at work. God can save and redeem anybody. And if Peter's story is anything to go by, then God doesn't just save. He doesn't just redeem, but he completely transforms people and uses them as powerful men and women in the mission that he has for his church. And so why, why is it important that we invite aside from the fact that yes, Jesus, God has the power to transform and change as we see in the story of Peter. We, we are privileged to be inviting others to come into the fold. One, because if you're here today and you've heard the message of the gospel and you responded to it and you have a relationship with Jesus, then you, just like Andrew have encountered the Messiah, and if Jesus is as good as we say he is, if he changes lives as we claim and we have seen him to do, if he heals as we have known him to do, if he does, if he is God just as we have known him to be, then we cannot keep this message to ourselves. We have, we have to go out there and give this message and invite others to come. Because we did not come to Jesus out of our own genius. We didn't come to him because we are good, because we we fit the profile. We came to him because he has extended that invitation first and foremost to us. And so we cannot selfishly hold this message to ourselves. We must go out there and share it so that others can also come into this family. But the other reason why we must be investing and inviting is because For a lot of us, and indeed all of us, eternity is at stake. There is people who are literally on their last days. If COVID has taught us anything, is that we cannot take life for granted, right? One minute you're smiling and talking with someone or you're hearing about, oh, they're sick, they're not so badly off, and in the next minute they're gone, right? Eternities are at stake. And this reminds me of my own story, actually, of how I came to salvation. I was about 10 years old and very, very sick. I developed some, um, you know, I was in school one afternoon and I just started vomiting uncontrollably and had a really high fever. I was rushed home and to the hospital. And after weeks of testing, they found that I had a really serious liver infection. And so for about, I think it was like four months of just being really sick and being at home, not being able to eat much continuously vomiting, and just, um, I think it got to a point where my parents were sure, like, we're not sure this child is going to make it. And so I remember one afternoon, seated with my mother, um, very, very weak, very frail, I could barely even hear what it is she was saying, and she shared the gospel, of or uh, the message of the gospel with, with me that afternoon, and she was very clear, she said, we don't know whether you're going to make it, and if you don't, we want to make sure that we spend eternity with you. My eternity as a 10-year-old that day was at stake. Thank God I made it right. And I've had the privilege of working with God and knowing him personally, that it wasn't just a case of, oh, she gave her life to Christ and she was born the next day. But that's a reality for some of us, right? Some of our friends, some of our family members, some of our colleagues, our schoolmates, our neighbors. The reality is, they do not have as much time as you and I think we have. Even you and I don't have as much time as we think we have. Tomorrow, we may not be there to extend that invitation to invest in that relationship. And so eternity is at stake. The second reason why we need to, or the other reason why we need to be inviting, investing is because while eternity is at stake, there are also destinies at stake, right? There are people, yes, they might live to be 70, 80, 90, but they might just spend the rest of that lifetime wasted away and never really fulfilling the purposes that God has created them for. And their eternity, uh, their destinies are literally at stake because they have no concept of what it is that God has created them for. They have no idea that there's even a God who loves them and has a rich and full life that he wants them to live out. And this reminds me again, uh, today seems like uh, quite a family affair of how my husband Simba came to know the Lord. He was in university many years ago and I, I mean many years ago uh, and he back then is actually when he started going to the gym as a board you know university student on attachments they had a gym in school and you know they'd go and work out and at the gym he met this guy who is uh, has since passed on and his name was Sunday and Sunday just started investing his time uh, and having a conversation with Simba and just you know preaching the gospel to him, and I'll tell you that back then in jquat, you can ask Kogi after this, uh the saved guys were not the cool guys, they were the ugly suit wearing praise the Lord at every corner, the annoying guys on campus and, no, and so there was they were not really like they were that's not the guys you wanted to be with, but this guy's son they just persisted and persisted and shared the gospel with Simba. And one time he would even go to his room and he would know, just keep sharing the gospel. And one day in that um, hostel in the university, uh, Sunday prayed over Simba and Simba gave his life to the Lord because Sunday could see that this is a, these young people in this university, there's potential. Can you imagine what God could do with these young men and women in this campus if they came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? And so, yes, Siphas, amen to that one. And so, Because of Sunday's investment that day uh, and that invitation to bring him to Jesus, then an entire destiny has been changed. I probably would never have met Simba, right? Because had it not been for Jesus, where would we be? And so a story of how destinies are at stake. That young person who looks well put together and they seem to have it all together. That colleague that you're wondering, "Mm, I don't know. When you see them, I need you to see them and see someone for whom Jesus died and someone for whom God has a plan and a purpose for them to live out their lives for their, for his glory. And so we must be inviting, we must be investing in these relationships because one, eternities are at stake, destinies are at stake. And even further to that is the fact that the enemy is busy at work. He is busy stealing, killing, and destroying the life out of everybody around us to the extent that even the idea of the the idea that there's a God somewhere who could love and change and transform has just become this foreign concept. And these days we, we are living in a time where Jesus is not really the answer. That's not who people perceive him to be, right? These days we, we send good vibes. We send uh you know if someone is going through a hard time we are sending you good energy and good vibes right we are living in a world where we the higher power is you know the universe i hope the universe will do this and that and the other for me right we are living in a time where financial prosperity is the ultimate goal and many are looking for peace and satisfaction in their acquisitions we are living in a time where morality is relative to whatever interpretation you have of what morality means right you do you me I'll do me don't judge me I won't judge you let's live together in peace and harmony and the enemy is at work just blinding people from the truth of what God says about these life situations he's blinding people from seeing that actually Jesus is the answer good vibes good energy will not save anybody will not rescue any situation but the enemy is at work blinding people from seeing actually that Jesus is is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we must share the gospel because Jesus is waiting to open the eyes of the blind. He's he's desiring to open the ears of of those who are yet to receive this gospel so that they can come to the full knowledge of who he is. And therefore, we cannot sit with our faith. We cannot sit with this story of the Messiah and not do something about it because God... um, is willing to save those who are lost. If you look around us, I think from the things I've described and and the the language and the pursuits of people around us, it is very clear that people are seeking and searching. They just don't know that Jesus is the answer that they are seeking and searching. And so if we don't invest, if we don't invite, how else will they find out about the answer that is Jesus? I dare say that it may not be as obvious to those around you that Jesus is the answer they see. And they have an opportunity to, en- and they actually don't have an, en- an opportunity to encounter him in their spaces. Now, I, I usually, I frequent, I've frequented a salon, um, at Two Rivers for the last maybe eight years since we moved to this side. And I'm not normally like, I, I'm terrible at striking conversations with strangers but I've been at this salon now long enough or I've been going to this salon long enough. uh, I I think I could pass for like the governor of that that salon. I walk in and my hairdresser usually says, I'm giving you five to finish saying your hellos and then we get started on your hair. But it's interesting that as I've had conversations with this bunch of young hairdressers and beauticians in this salon, uh, first, they actually have a hard time believing that I'm a Christian. And um, it's not because of my bad conducts. Uh, It's it's not because I don't behave like a Christian, but they just have this notion in their minds that there's no way someone young like me with three boys and dreadlocks, my bad hair, like I just don't fit the profile in their minds of what it means to be a a Christian or a Christ follower. But you know the, the sad thing about what that translates to It's that they look at themselves and they're like, it's not for me. Like there's no way someone like me can just walk into a church, right? There's no way Jesus would be interested in someone like me. One, I even had one guy tell me his story and he was telling me how he struggled with addictions. And now is when he's in a place in his life where he's sober. But his solution to dealing with, you know, staying sober is that, I don't go anywhere, I simply come to work, I go home so that I don't get into spaces where I'm tempted, right? I speak to another one who tells me, ah, I grew up in this church and that church and to be honest, I'm not welcome there anymore because my hair looks a certain way, I dress a certain way, so I'm not welcome. And I've listened to story after story of these young people who are just completely convinced that God is just wouldn't accept or invite someone like them in. They're even convinced that us Christians would not even want anything to do with them. And so I I dare to say that it is not obvious that these people around us, that one that God is calling you to invest in and invite is not so obvious to them that they feel like this is an option for their life. They don't see Jesus necessarily as what it is that they're looking for and so if we don't invest if we don't invite then they are going to miss out on that one opportunity that could open their eyes to see the reality of who god says they are and i'm sure you're wondering so Mudeo, have you done anything about it right or not yes i've had conversations upon conversations with this uh, bunch of hairdressers. Uh, now, I even made it worse when I, I had them know that I'm actually taking a master's in Christian ministry. They're like, what? Why? Like, what's, what's wrong? Don't you have better things to do? Like, are you not following, pursuing a hassle? You should be studying business or something. But as we've had conversations and they've asked me, you know, theological questions, biblical questions, we've actually just been building you know this relationship and even though I wanted I would love to change salons at some point it's just not gonna happen because I have a bunch of friends now who have actually invited to church and I'll keep inviting them until the day they actually show up because they still don't believe even in spite of our many conversations that this is actually a space where they can come where they can be welcomed in and so guys The world out there may not look as lost as you think it should look. People are well dressed up, people have hassles going, they are busy. But I tell us this morning that the world is lost and looking for an answer. We must be the ones that are investing and inviting these dear children of God because he desires to have a relationship with them. We must be going out of our way, out of our comfort zones, out of our social clusters and inviting the one so that they can come and see this Jesus and encounter him for themselves. But as I was thinking about just the whole invest and invite. Uh, Simba and I have this one friend, let me call him a friend, um, who recently actually turned to Islam. He's grown up in a Christian family, um, and all his life, he's actually uh, around my husband's age, he's grown up in a Christian family, There's, there's no hint of like any other religion within, you know, generation four of their family. But this guy, um, after the experience he's had with those closest to him, the Christians closest to him in his family, in his circles, actually decided that, nah, Jesus is not for me. And the sad reality is because the conduct of the Christians in his life has been more than wanting, right? They are the people who have wounded this person the most They are the people who say the worst things about this person. They are the people who've broken him the most. And yet these are people who are praise the Lord, um, Bible-believing Christians, professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about these aspects of us investing, inviting, I just sensed God um, just sort of turning uh, the mirror back on us and asking us, to take a look at ourselves. Because the idea is not just to go out and tell people, it's not just for them. The gospel, yes, we might be thinking here, invest, invite, it's those guys. But I just sense God challenging me and indeed challenging us this morning that our investment, our invitation must absolutely be backed by a life that is pleasing to God. It must be backed by character that is grounded in the word of God. It must be grounded or that invitation, that investment, there must be something on the back end of it that the world can look at and actually see Jesus in us. So that it's not just something that we are going to talk about and tell everyone, oh, hi, come to church. Oh, you know, Jesus loves you. Actually, God is calling and challenging us to live lives that are worthy of the calling that he has placed on our lives. And so that means that we have to be uh, the student that is working in integrity. We have to be that employee that is embodying what it means to be a follower of Christ. We have to be the parents that are not just, our children cannot be the ones that everyone around says, have you seen so-and-so's children? And we are not doing it from a place of being self-righteous or wanting to, you know, separate ourselves from the rest. But we are doing that because God has called you and I, who are followers of Jesus Christ to a higher standard, that we must be the Bible that some people will only ever read before they ever come to Jesus Christ. And so we cannot be the ones that are breaking, we cannot be the ones that are the reason why someone would want nothing to do with our God. And so I challenge us this morning, one tribers we need to go back to God's word and see what it is he has to say about how it is that we live our lives. How do we conduct our marriages? How do we conduct ourselves in in the workplace? We cannot be the most corrupt person in, in the office space, the most rude, disrespectful, cares for nobody, cares only about the bottom line and has nothing to do with people. We cannot be that person and at the same time expect that we shall be the light, the salt that the world will taste and see the goodness of God. In. and so I challenge us this morning to first come to a place of repentance and acknowledge that yes we are sinners and there are times where our life has not been the testimony that it ought to be right there are times where we have actually been the reason why someone has just completely decided if that's what Jesus is then I don't want anything to do with him and so I challenge us this morning guys to come To God in repentance and ask that he will turn us around and change and continue to do his transforming work in us not so that we can be perfect but so that we can be fully representing Jesus even when we fall even when we don't reach that standard that he's calling us to that when we see uh, even the fallenness of each other We are not just seeing, oh my gosh, that guy is just so badly gone. But even in our fallenness, that the grace of God can be seen to be pouring out of our lives. And so, as I said, my sermon had already been fully preached by everyone. Um, Allow me to just summarize this idea of invest and invite in this way one and this is borrowed from the billy graham evangelistic association Uh, they have what they call operation andrew based on on the scripture that we just read and they summarize it in these four points that we are called to look around to look around where we live where we work where we go to school the places that god has planted us it is not by mistake that we are in the spaces that we are in and as we look around those spaces, we must be looking out, we must be looking around and re- be remembering the one, that one relationship that I need to be investing in, that one person that I need to be moving close to. But as we even look around and see the one, we need to be looking up. And we are looking up because of remember what we say that we must trust that God can and is willing to save anybody. And so as we look up to God, we are looking to him because he's the one who can save. But we are also looking up as we are praying for the one that he has brought within our radar. But the other thing that we do in the aspects of investing is that we look out. We look out for opportunities to cultivate relationships. We look out for opportunities to be there, to show up for that person. So that we are not just telling them about the love of God, but we are actually showing up and being that love Of God to these people and finally which is what invite is about is that we must be looking forward we must be looking forward and that means we begin to talk to to talk with and invite each of these people that God is putting on our radar to come and experience Jesus through one of our Sunday gatherings so we choose a specific date We pray and actually invite them and say, would you please come with me to church on Sunday? And now let me, let me just be clear that. We are not saying that one tribe is the most awesome, the best church. There's no other church doing it right in anywhere else in the world. That's why you must come to one tribe. No, no, no. We are saying that as one tribe, this is the vision that we sense God has placed on our hearts, right? And so we are inviting them not to come and meet our great service hosts, our band and all of that. We are inviting them because we believe that Jesus is in this space. And when they come, they have an opportunity to experience and encounter Jesus for themselves as they come into this space, right? So let's let's be inviting. God in his great mercy is the one who extended the first invitation, right? We are not here because of anything else, but it's because in that Genesis story when man sinned and fell short of the glory of God, God didn't wait a million years, a thousand years later to decide you know whether or not he wanted us back. The minute sin was committed, God started to play out the salvation and redemption story for us and started to extend this invitation and we see that story playing out throughout the Old Testament up until the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we invite because we are recipients of the great invitation that God sent out and has sent his son to die for us so that we can receive the fullness of life that Christ has to offer. And, and yet I'm sure there, there are some among us today who are, th- who are thinking, Mudeo, I'd love to invite my, my neighbors. I'd love to invite that one friend. I'd love to... I'd love to do that, but you, you have no idea the weight of life that I'm carrying on my shoulders. And that's thats a part of the sermon Kelvin preached earlier. And I just sense this morning that there's some of us uh, who actually this morning need to respond to God's invitation for his peace, for wisdom, um, for joy. There's some of us here who need to respond just to the goodness of God. Yes, you responded to that invitation and you know Jesus is your personal savior, but life has hit you left, right, center, and you're carrying just the weight of life having happened to you. And this idea of even going to tell someone about this Jesus is just draining and exhausting as you think about it. And so I want to invite us yet again, to come and drink of the fullness of who God is, because he is still the giver of wisdom. He's still the giver of peace. He's still the giver of joy. He is still the Lord of the storm. He is still your present help, your healer, your comforter, your way maker, your light, even in your present darkness. And so there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing he won't do for you. And so if this morning, the invitation that you actually need to be responding to is to just come and partake of the goodness of God, the fullness of who he is, then I invite you to come. Uh, we'll have a bunch of people up here just after service who can pray with you and just um, help you to just rediscover the joy of the Lord and the fullness of who he is so that you can uh, walk out of here this Sunday with a fresh step uh, in your in your walk, even as you begin to experience that healing and that joy that the Lord is freely willing to give this morning. But I also sense in our midst, there are some who've come or who've been coming as a result of an invitation by a friend, a family member, and you've been coming time and time again, and are yet to respond to that message of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to challenge you and say that it is not by accident that you're here this morning. It is not by accident that you've been coming and coming and coming. There's a loving father who's been pursuing you and who has ordained for you to be here even this morning. And he wants nothing more than to have a personal relationship with you. And so if that's you this morning, I challenge you to take that bold step. Take courage in the Lord and take that bold step and come and receive this free gift that is Jesus Christ, who has the power to change, to transform, and make something amazing out of your life. And so as I invite the band to come back up, I just want to remind us yet again that We have a father, the master inviter, who has done everything that is required in order for you and I to have the fullness of life that is ours in Christ Jesus. That there's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing, there's no amount of money we could ever pay to receive that fullness that is in Christ Jesus. But we come because God has invited us and has made a way for us to come to Him.